this is a um, continuation in the study of uh, the book of James, or Yaakov. Um, as I mentioned last week when we were talking about speech, that uh, a lot of people think James is a book about um, works versus faith. It's not. It's a book about true faith versus false faith. And one of the ways we know whether or not we have true faith is by how we act. Whether it's reflecting our speech or our use of wisdom. Um, if you are really a follower, uh, you act in a certain way. You will bear fruit. Uh, we hear in Matthew 25 where Yeshua is talking. Uh, in the future, the people come to him. They'll all call Lord, Lord. But not everybody who calls him Lord will be saved. It's not enough just to know who he is. You have to act in a certain way. Uh, the title is God's... Oh, by the way, this is from the rabbi. He just kind of gave me, because he wasn't... Um, so a lot of the words I will be speaking will be his exact words. Others will be my fill-ins. And it's up to you to decide which one is Bob's and which one is the rabbi's. Uh, his title was, God's Slave Lives Out God's Wisdom. And again, I want to point out to the word slave, it's not like we think of uh, in the 17, 1800s that we had slaves in America, that they were uh, whipped and tortured and had to do uh, harsh labor. God's slave, um, as we saw a couple of weeks ago in the Torah, that the slaves were released every seven years, but some of them loved their masters so much that they didn't want to leave. They wanted to remain slaves to him. And that's how we should approach slavery in our lives, that we are so much in love with God that we want to remain his slave. Uh, and a slave doesn't have choices. A slave does exactly what his master tells him. There's an old adage in the, you know, when you're in the army and your sergeant tells you, he's giving you orders. He, they always say, um, the sergeant says, jump, you ask how high. That's not really how it is with God's slave. Uh, if God asks us to jump, we don't ask him how high, we don't ask him when, uh, why should we do it. We just jump as high as we can each and every time. It's a very happy person who knows what God wants. And the way to know what God wants simply is to read and study his scriptures. He's already told us what he wants. All we have to do is open ourselves up to hear it. Uh, the introduction that the rabbi wrote is, there is a lot of spirituality in our world today. People are seeking self-help, the new age, worldly philosophy. The only thing few people seem interested in is God's wisdom, with the result that most people are directionalist and unhappy. That was a pretty decent example of that. Um, back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, right, right after college, I jumped into the whole New Age movement a lot. I, um, I was always looking for a fortune teller to tell me what was going to happen. Um, I did the I Ching, tarot cards, palm reading, um, clairvoyance. That was one of my favorites. I loved it when they would tell me what was going on. Uh, mind expanding drugs, anything to get me uh, to where I was going in a very quick and easy way. I didn't want to have to guess. I was looking for direction. I was looking for answers. Problem is, I didn't know the right questions. 
you know, we had a movement a while ago as to uh, people wearing little bracelets. Uh, what would Jesus do? When you were faced with a situation, you should ask yourself, oh, what would Jesus do right now? That, I didn't think, was a very good question because Jesus had powers and abilities far beyond me. Um, you know, if he came across a leper, you know, he could heal him. That's what Jesus would do. Me, I could just show the man compassion. I could just show him some love. Maybe give him something to eat. Um, just not make him feel like an outcast. But Jesus would act very differently. So the whole idea of what would Jesus do, um, I'm not capable of what he would do. But I can always do what God wants me to do in the best possible way of doing it. I asked the rabbi, okay, we're talking about biblical wisdom. I asked him, what is your definition of biblical wisdom or God's wisdom? He said, biblical wisdom is life practice, what we do, based on life principles clearly taught in Scripture. Very simple. But we do what Scripture says. Scripture starts off, uh, the first thing it really says about um, wisdom is that the fear of Adonai is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the, of the Holy One is understanding. We see this in Proverbs 9.10 it's again in Psalm uh, 111.10 and Proverbs 1.7. The whole concept of if you really want to be wise begin to fear God. Why would we want to fear God? Um, and I think that's one of the things that has watered down our relationship with him. So people don't want to fear him. He, they want him as a friend. They want him as an ally. Uh, nah. If you really understood who he was, if you really understood his majesty, there would be fear there. Um, Isaiah, for example, when he saw God, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He already knew that he did not stand up to what God wanted. He was afraid. Um, Peter and John uh, at the transfiguration they trembled when they saw Jesus who was their close friend but what he really looked like not in human form but in resurrected form in, um, in his glory they were afraid and I think we can't um, we can't take it for granted that we are not going to that we sh shouldn't be afraid of him the big idea is that the truly wise man lives his life based on God's wisdom. So then the answer has to be, what is God's wisdom? There are his commandments, his laws, his statutes, his ordinances, but also his fulfillment of promises and prophecies. God says, I know the plans I have for you. It's for good, not evil. The person who does good, therefore, is living out God's wisdom. Uh, we find this constantly the wisdom of God is not only in what he has actually taught us but in uh, examples of other people throughout the Bible and also the teachings of Yeshua for example one of my favorite portions in uh, Mark chapter 11 uh, verses 12 to 14 and then 20 we have the story of the fig tree where Yeshua is walking with his disciples and he's hungry and he comes across a fig tree that hasn't yet had time to mature and to bear fruit, and he curses it. 
And a little while later, they come back along that way, and they notice, wow, here's this fig tree, and it's all withered. It's dead. A few days ago, it was in perfect um, shape, and now it's gone. It's withered. We learn a couple of things from that. Uh, first and foremost is that God, or Jesus at this point, is hungry. He wants us to feed him. Our actions, what we do, what we say, how we respond to other people is feeding him. And we shouldn't take it for granted that he has everything he wants. He wants us. The other thing that we learn from this is that if we don't feed him, if we don't bear fruit, we're cursed. We wither, we die. Whether It's going to be thrown into darkness. We are told this over and over again throughout scripture that if we don't bear he who doesn't bear fruit will be cast out of heaven another example um, of God's wisdom is the story with um, Abram and Hagar where God promises Abram that he'll be a father he'll have lots of children and you know it's a nice promise but Sarah is really really old he's really really old they don't really believe him, so rather than waiting for God's time, he kind of jumps the gun. He takes things into his own hands, and he has a child with Hagar. All kinds of trouble to this day happened from that. Um, it's, it's, God didn't sit down and tell us what he wants at that moment, but he teaches us from this example that we should be patient that we should trust God. If he says he's going to do something in our lives, he's going to do it. And he's going to do it at his time. We can't rush it. I want to read to you um, the verses 13 through 18 so that we have a jumping off point. Chapter 3. Who among you is wise and understanding? I thought everybody would be pointing at me. Uh, who among you is wise and understanding? By, this, by his good conduct, let him show his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, not hypocritical. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in shalom, in peace, by those who make shalom. First thing we hear is that God's wisdom is that uh, God's wisdom produces humility. I was kind of joking a little bit before I said I thought it might be pointing at me. Um, but that's how a lot of people respond to their own wisdom. They're smart enough and they act as if um, their wisdom is something that they earned and got themselves. It's given to us by God. Part of humility is knowing that God is in control, that he's sovereign. Uh, the from Genesis to Revelation, we always see God saying, this is what I want, this is who I am. And man is always saying, um, mm, I really want to share in your sovereignty. Uh, I don't want to be under your control. 
You see this beautifully in the story of Jonah. When God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, "Uh uh-uh. And he heads in the opposite direction. How in the world does somebody who hears God's voice clearly decides that he's going to go someplace else and not do it? Uh, And God gets him to do what God wants. He has to stick him inside a whale for three days, but he he eventually does what God wants. We're not going to do anything better, sooner, or different than God's way. Uh, Abraham learned that, Jonah learned that, and it's something that we have to learn. That's where our humility comes from. The truly wise man is humble. He lives a life of good deeds. He lives a life of humility. The second point that the rabbi made is that God's wisdom produces graciousness. He has no room for bitter envy. He, um, the definition of envy, painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another person joined with the desire to possess that yourself. Uh, whether it's money, whether it's um, somebody's stature in life, um, lots of things will make us envious of other people. This is not wise. The wise person lives a life of satisfaction, um, which is to be content of all things. Um, The first thing is to know that you are where God wants you to be. And once you understand that, that's what helps us to be satisfied with our life. One of the best sermons I ever heard, a pastor was saying very simply that none of us are big enough, strong enough, or smart enough to mess up God's plan. God has a plan. God knows what he wants from us. And it's going to happen his way. We may fight it. We may run off away. Uh, we may run to Tarshish. We may sleep with Hagar. We may do any other thing to change the plan. But it's God's plan is going to come out one way or the other. So we might as well listen to what he wants and just obey in the beginning. The truly wise man is generous. Uh, we know that whatever we're given, or we know whatever we have, has been given to us by God. Uh, the point is, how do we use it? For example, last night we had this wonderful brotherhood dinner. Uh, some people used their great talents preparing a wonderful meal for us. Uh, and some people didn't even bother to pay for it. When we collected um, a few bucks for each person. It was interesting to see how few people actually gave in. Um, Something is very wrong with your relationship with God if you want too much material things for yourself and not giving it to other people. Is this something I said, Rich? Just leaving? Um, I told you how good your lamb was last night. Guy gets up and leaves. Okay. Um, the third point, um, well, the idea of graciousness is seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage, pleasure, or well-being without regards for others. That's selfishness. Graciousness is taking what you have and making it available for others. Finally, in verses 17 to 18, um, 
the truly wise man lives a life of righteousness. He lives a life of peace. Uh, righteousness is trying to do uh, as much as you can as to what God wants. We're told it's pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy and good actions, it's impartial, it's sincere. Uh, these basically are the fruit of the Spirit. Again, we have this whole concept of bearing fruit. Even during some of the greatest hardships, uh, we can still feel peace. We know God wants us here. We have that confidence, we have that trust uh, that we are doing what God wants. God is doing what he wants with us, through us. I, I find a lot of times that um, people are constantly in stress today. Stress is a huge, huge factor in our lives. And a person who's under a lot of stress, um, whether it's relationship-related, business-related, our jobs, uh, just our basic living in today's world that seems to be so corrupt and seems to be so violent, how much stress we're under is a direct proportion to how much we trust God. If you have a lot of stress in your life, you're basically saying, I'm in this by myself, It's it's all up to me. I don't really feel God's going to take care of me. I don't feel God's in control. I don't think he's sovereign. That's how your stress builds. If, on the other hand, you are wise enough to say, I'm here to do God's will, and God is going to push me along the right path, that relieves a lot of stress right there. The application is... God wants us to apply his wisdom to the way we live our lives. God's wisdom produces humility, graciousness, and peace for our lives. Hopefully, we'll continue to grow in his wisdom. We'll be wanting to seek his wisdom, to realize that what he has in store for us is anything better than what we can plan for ourselves. Thank you.